Well, if you missed uh, last week, shame on you. It was one of our, it was one of our best gatherings uh, ever. We had a chance to meet here and worship and learn, and then go out and enjoy a meal together, and then uh, serve people in need right here in this building. I know, so good. I was. It was so good. Uh, in 41 minutes and 10 seconds, uh, you put together 50,000 meals for people to be distributed right here in Oregon, which is incredible. I th- we're super, super grateful for partnership with Chick-fil-A and with Northwe- Northwest Events, which runs this event center and uh, feeding children everywhere and us. Together, we're able to make a huge difference. I've already gotten texted by multiple people saying, hey, when are we going to do it again? When you start giving hundreds of thousands of dollars, we're ready. So they're like, oh, I was really excited. It was actually the donations from Chick-fil-A and others that we gave some of it, but uh, everyone working together made a big difference. Next time, we're going for 100000 just because, by faith. When in doubt, you say it and you fund it later. All right. <laughs> so, why, why, why do that? Because as a community, we're all about helping people experience life in Jesus. The reason to do and take a couple of hours to set up and to do something good for other people around us is because we want to help people. So feeding people, or in other words, taking care of people's physical, real needs is part of of experiencing life in Jesus. It's not just like some spiritual thing you think about when you're feeling down. No, it's tangible. Following Jesus should make a difference in everyday life. But feeding or caring or serving tangibly is not the only thing. And so it just so happens we happen to be going through Romans and we're going to find ourselves in Romans 10 and we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Romans 10 verse 13, just look at it if you would, and we're going to look at what we can do now to help people experience life in Jesus, whether it's feeding or something else. Romans 10, 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We ended there last week, and that was Paul's like summary of what the good news is all about. It's for everyone. It's not just for one group of people. It's not just for the Jewish people. It's not just for the non-Jewish people. It's not just for the American, for the young, for the old, for the black, for the white, for the whatever. It is for everyone. So to experience life in Jesus, to state the obvious, is to call on him. To really know the love of God requires that we call on him, and when we call on him, we'll be rescued. Saved could be translated rescued, brought out of where we were to where God wants us to be. So to fully experience life in Jesus, you must call on him, which means I can't call on him for you, and your parents can't, and your church can't. No one else can. And this is like, this is the rub. We want to help people experience life in Jesus so we, we want to do good things, and I'm all for that 150%. But unless someone knows that there's a Lord they can call on, and unless they're invited to call on him, the real, deep, transforming work is never going to happen. But when we do call on the name of the Lord, 
you will be saved. Now, why is this so important? And why do we need to think about this? It's because our culture has lost any sense. As, as a whole, our culture has lost any sense of certainty. We live in a world where what we want to say is what's commonly said. Look, it doesn't matter what you believe, it's that you believe, right? Who is, who's the person who has the right to make right and wrong in our world? It's really me. I have that right. It's a fundamental right. It's like an American, inalienable right. I get to drive my own destination. And anything that is certain is looked down on. Well, now that sounds nice, right? I would love to believe that. It doesn't matter what you believe. It only matters that you believe. Until you read the unending headlines of people doing horrific things in the name of belief. We don't want to think about it. We don't want to talk about it. But a lot of the terror that we see today is based on a belief. But the belief is skewed. And when the belief is skewed, behavior is skewed. So we want to think about what we believe. We believe as a community, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord is rescued. So what you believe actually does matter. Now let's think about it. How can I help people to think about what they believe and why they believe what they believe? Look, well, Paul tells us, uh, Romans 10, just keep reading, verse 14. How then can they call upon the name of the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. What, what can we do? Two, two thoughts, and some of it is so obvious, but sometimes it's worth stating the obvious. Two thoughts this morning. The first one, write it down. Remember, we're a sent community. Why don't you say that with me? We are a sent community. One more time. We're a sent community. We're not called here just to be here. We're called here to remember that we're sent. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, that's, that's the good news. Now, Paul's going to tell us how we can increase, how we can help more people to know that they're invited by God to be changed at the deepest level. You're a part of God's plan. That, that's what Paul's saying. The whole question is, is he's reminding the church with Q&A. You're a part of God's plan. What God wants to do in this world, he's going to do through you. So he writes it in reverse order. How can they believe? The ultimate goal is that people would call on Jesus. And so he does it in reverse order. I'll flip the order because it's just a little more logical. Four things. Sent, preach, hear, believe. How can I help people experience life in Jesus? We need to remember we're a community that has been sent. Sent to preach so that people hear and people hear they can believe. Let's think about sent for a moment. What, what does Paul mean by sent? Well, he quotes from Isaiah, the prophet, Isaiah 52. Let me put what he quotes in context from Isaiah. 
He says, and I think it's on the screen, therefore my people will know my name. This is God speaking through Isaiah. At the time, the people are broken far from God in a total messed up situation because of their own rebellion. And he says, my people will know my name. Therefore, in that day, they will know that it is I who foretold it. Yes, it is I. Then, verse 7, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, or the place where God lives, your God reigns. This is 700 years before Jesus. So all Paul does is he's reading the Bible, and then he reads it in light of Jesus. 700 years before Jesus comes, God, Yahweh says, I'm going to let people know my name. To know God's name isn't just to say like, my name's Jose or Scott or Lena or anyone else. To know is to be familiar and to be in relationship. We're on a first name basis. And God says, I want my people to know my name. So it's beautiful when everyone goes out and invites people to know God by name. You see, God hasn't abandoned his people. 700 years before Jesus, the people are rebellious, but God hasn't forgotten them. So he sends a messenger, Isaiah, to say, you're invited. Come back. Come back. Come back. Come back. And the people don't. And for hundreds of years after Isaiah, leading up to Jesus, the prophets are saying, come back. Come back. Come back. How beautiful it is when someone, man or woman, young or old, says what God is thinking you're invited back. And in a very real sense, what Paul says is, I'm picking up in the line of Isaiah, and you and I are picking up in the line of Isaiah. Jesus himself is picking up in the line of Isaiah, and Jesus quotes Isaiah himself, for God has anointed me to preach and proclaim good news. You and I are not just anybody's. We are someone because God has given us his name. He's given us himself. And because we know him, we are a sent community. We're a sent community. So what does it mean to be sent? It means that we preach. The second word is preach. Preach means announce. Preach, it sounds kind of funky because I'm a preacher, quote unquote, right? And so we think of preach as here and notes and you have seats, you listen, nod, I talk. But, but in the first century, he just picks up on an ordinary word. This is, you have to imagine, pre-internet, pre-Snapchat, you know, pre-email. How did people know anything? You know, like I, I think back when I grew up as a kid, how did my parents ever find me? I didn't have a cell phone. I didn't have a, a pager. I had nothing. I just left. And eventually, when I got hungry, I came home. Like, how did they find me? Now I track my... No, I don't track my children, but I'm tempted to. <laughs> so tempted to. Now we, we, we know everything instantly. How did they know anything? It was the Herald. There was a job. In the center of town, someone would come and announce the news. They didn't have newspapers. But the herald's job was to find out what was going on, mostly like in Rome and politics and government and life. And if something needed to be shared, the herald would go to the center of town and announce to the town, like, 
out loud, hey, everybody. And oh, okay, everyone comes around. And they would announce the news. It's kind of old school, but, but that's the idea is not from a stage, so to speak, but in the community where people are at, right where people are at, in their shop, in their school, in their neighborhood, that there's someone who goes in the middle of where people are and says, have you heard? Did you, did you know? We're a herald. We're announced. And in that sense of the word, everyone here, young, old, new to Jesus, following Jesus for a long time, you are an announcer. Uh, if you want to get technical, you're a preacher. You're just like, oh, no, I, I couldn't do that. Actually, yes. You can. You have news. Anyone with news, agreed. Anyone with news, even if they're young, ought to share it. It's like mommy feeding time. Announce the good news. So now, now the size of the town may differ and, and the size of the crowd may differ, but the point is the same. We are a sent community and we're called to announce. And do you know what? If Jesus is doing, doing anything in your world, you have something to talk about. It may not sound like huge and dramatic, but in a world that is looking for real, you have something real. You know someone real. You are really being transformed from the inside out. And others may long for what you have. They may not even know it yet. But there is a deep longing in the soul for that which is real. And we're grabbing for it. And, and the thing is, you and I have it. So we have news. Now, we're living in a technological age with radio and TV and internet and all sorts of news. The problem is we're so inundated with stuff, we're overwhelmed with it. And here's why the personal touch matters. Because I could look at an app and I could look at a website and I could look at all things and kind of check in and check out whether it's important to me or not. But there's something about news in a personal form, you know. Uh, there's an old art of a handwritten note. I don't know if you heard about this. Like in a world where everything's like, you know, emojis. Where, where someone takes the time to take a piece of paper and a pen and write something heartfelt. Have you received something like that? And at the right time, it's like, wow, you didn't just get words, you got the person. Or maybe someone got really personal and, and surprised you and says hello and takes you out and you grab a coffee or a meal or go on a walk and spend time with someone. These ancient arts need to be resurfaced. And here's the fun part you and I can be that kind of people that don't just push messages on screens, but we embody what we believe and we're there. Don't forget the power of being there and having news. You have that already. But the thing is we sometimes forget that we're sent. Now, so... They're sent to preach so that people can hear. Hear is to understand. Like, hear is not just like in the ears, I acknowledge that you are speaking or writing. To hear, to Paul, is to understand what God has done. How are people going to actually understand 
the good news unless we're there and unless we're communicating the message. We, we live in a day where most people in the Portland metro area know the name of Jesus. That's not the question. In Paul's day, Jesus was like actually a mystery. Most people hadn't seen him. There weren't any church buildings. The written Bible wasn't completed. So they had to actually introduce by sharing Old Testament prophecies. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these words by God. Now today, most people know the name of Jesus, but do they actually understand? There may be questions that people have about Jesus that they need an answer to. There are definitely misconceptions about Jesus that need to be corrected, right? And this is where the messenger is so important because it's not just like in your ears, I know, or on a page, I need to understand. That means we don't talk at people, we talk with people. You and I are invited to be the kind of people that are available there, known, so we can have conversations about things that matter. And you and I have news. You have things about Jesus that you take for granted that others may not understand yet. You have that. You know him. And by the way, when we go to share news, it's not like it's me going to share news with you. No, it's God going to share his news through you to other people. So wherever I go, the Holy Spirit is there with me, right? God himself. Remember Isaiah 52? It is I who wants them to know. God wants to communicate his love to them, and you're there. So it's not like, well, what am I going to do? Frankly, I don't care what you do. If God is with you and you're open to his leading, guess what? It's going to turn out okay. You say, well, I'm not really good at it. That's even better. It's even better if you feel like I'm not good at it. Because you're not going to be pompous and you're not going to be arrogant. You're not going to look down at people. You're going to love them. And when you and I love people and communicate God's love in a way that sounds natural, it makes all the difference in the world. We're there to be with people until they understand. And understanding takes a while. Wouldn't you agree? Just getting past. Sometimes we have to help people unlearn what they learned. And get back to the basics because what they learned may be flawed. And it's not their fault. We're not looking down. We're not making fun. We're just simply saying some things people think about Jesus aren't true. But I need to be there to help bring understanding. Um, I'm working on a tool this summer because some I know they're like I want to, I want to do this more. And I know the Bible says Matthew 28, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, and I'm part of that, and I'm with you. But I don't know what to do, so we're working on a tool this summer that will launch out in the fall that mostly you'll be able to do in your communities. So if you're a community leader, you'll be able to take four to six weeks and work with your group to think through how we can be better at understanding the good news and sharing it. By the way, I don't just get up here and talk. I actually think about what I'm going to say all week long. And then I write out everything I'm going to say. And if you're interested in coming up here right now, which would be very awkward, you can see everything I'm saying right here. 
I memorize about half of what I'm going to say, and the rest I just kind of ad-lib it because I know what I'm going to say. And then I say it. And then I say it again, and it's better at 11. Sorry. <laughs> because the more I say it, the better it, it clicks in my brain. I'm like, oh, I got a laugh point. I got to repeat that. Because right now I'm off the mat anyway. But it's good <laughs> because you're helping me do the 11 better. And it's, you know what? It's the same thing as sharing your faith. The first time, it's just hard and awkward and quirky. But the more you begin to talk about this Jesus that you actually know and love in ways that are normal, you know what? The easier it gets. And when someone gets the glimmer in the eye of like, I never thought about that, it's an addiction. <gasps> that was helpful. Or a question that they ask that you say, that's a great question. I hadn't thought about that. Or I can't clearly share it. Can I come back though? Because that's like super important. But let me think about that. Is it all right if we come back and kind of pick it up and you go do a little homework and they find it helpful? Man, that's addictive. At least it can be. So we want to help you. We'll get back to that in the fall. Finally, we, we're sent so that we can share or announce so that people can understand. And ultimately, we want them to believe. Believe. What's believe? It's to consider something to be true and therefore, worthy of one's trust, belief, faith, is, is a meaningless word in today's culture because it just means whatever I want it to mean. But when you think of what the New Testament writers, when they say believe, they're talking about coming to the point where you consider something to be true and, and trustworthy enough to do something about it. So it's not just about knowing. It's about knowing to the point where I will act on what I know. So I know this is a bump out stage and I believe it is there. But belief is I stand on it because I know, I've done it before, I know it's going to hold my weight. This is active belief. It's a knowing that leads to, to action. And in the same way, the good news is a call to action. It's a call to trust in Jesus to be who we will never be, which is right and good and true fully. So Jesus is everything I want to be. And Jesus invites me to come in relationship with him. And he can forgive my past in full. And he can make me whole again. And he gives me himself. And now I can live in the way he intended. That's me sharing the good news in English, right? That's the Bible. I didn't even quote a verse. But we share so that people will believe. So we're a sent community. By the way, that is how this church started. Why are we here? Because we were all at Westside. Some of you were driving to Tigard for a long time. When I first moved to Oregon, my wife and I were like, oh, Tigard, that's like Winnie the Pooh. Then we found out it was Tigard. And we felt dumb. <laughs> But it's Tigard. We were all in Tigard. And we're all in a huge building. And there was a sense by the Holy Spirit, you know what? We need to be a people that doesn't just meet by Washington Square Mall. We need to be a people that lives in places all over the city and gathers in places all over the city. You are here because a group of people felt sent and compelled and gave a lot of money, time, effort, prayer, so that you could be here today. We started as a sent 
church. And that's why we are here. So what am I saying? God wants you to be one of his announcers here. Now, there may be other places God sends you. Uh, this year, I've, I've been in Uganda and the UK, and I'm going back, and Romania, and Myanmar in the fall. And there are other places where I get to go, and I'm sent there too, right? But sentness doesn't require driving or flying. Sentness is just being awakened to who God's created you to be all the time. I am sent. I am here. And your scent may be 20 steps next door or across the street. Your scent may be when your employees come to you to work. Your scent could be as you do what you always do. But sometimes we just forget who we are. So we're going to ask the Holy Spirit today and in the season of our church to recapture and reawaken our scentness. That wherever we are, that's where God is. And where God is working, he's drawing people to himself. And by the way, God has always chosen to use human beings. Very rarely in, in the scripture do you see angels or animals. There's a donkey that talks in the Bible. Another story for another day. But most of the time, you read the story of the Bible, it is people who are sharing God's message. And you are a person that God loves and wants to work through. So we're a sent community. Now, we're going to finish the rest of chapter 10, and it all drives towards one point. First point, we are a sent community. Now let's just read uh, the rest, verse 16 and following. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Jesus. Christ is Messiah, and the Messiah is Jesus. So I'm not replacing the Bible. I'm just saying it's about a person. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. He's speaking about the Jews. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the earth. Again, I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands. Look at this visual. I've held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Now, when it comes to sharing Jesus, you and I are a sent people. But the second point is huge because this is what he's sharing at the end of Romans 10. We are not responsible for how people respond. You've got to get that. Write this down. We, I, we are not responsible for how people respond. I want you to do an exercise with me. It's going to really help you out. On the count of three, I just want you to breathe in deep. One, two, three. Oh, man, clean air. Thank you, Jesus. Breathe in. I think what keeps many of us from sharing is this subtle thing that I've got to have it all together. I've got to know it all. I've got to answer it all. I've got to be all because everything's riding on me. What Paul does 
is he answers the big question. Everyone's been asking, remember, Romans 9, 10, and 11, if the good news is good and Jesus came as part of the people of Israel to his own, how in the world could they reject him? If Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, how come the Jews don't care about him? To which Paul responds, the whole Bible predicts this is going to happen. So what he does, and it's subtle, he quotes from the three parts of the Hebrew Scriptures, from Deuteronomy, from Isaiah, and from Psalms. He quotes and quotes and quotes from the law, from the prophets, from the writings. And he basically says all of the Bible is predicting what has already happened. The Jewish people in this particular case are without excuse. They're without excuse. They have chosen to be, quote, an obstinate people. Now, they have every invitation. God has come for them, but they have chosen to be faithless. They don't respond with faith. They don't have an excuse. But Romans 11, which we'll get to next week, that doesn't mean God has failed and that the story is done. God is going to do something, even with a faithless people. The end of the story is going to have a cliffhanger. So, so don't give up. Keep, as a matter of fact, Paul, still knowing this, he still goes to every city and he goes to the synagogue first. Because he knows God's not done with his people. But often people hear the good news and they are, verse 21, concerning Israel, he says, All day long I've held up my hands and they're obstinate. I was on a flight just uh, coming back from Uganda last week and sat next to a lady with a British accent, which is always fun. Uh, Terry's her name. And so we got to talking. She was coming to California for the first time to visit some friends. And, and oh, where are, you, are you going home? I live in Portland. Oh, so we started talking about America, and which goes to politics. And they're in a weird spot in the UK. And we're in a weird spot, if you haven't realized it. And so we chatted a bit. And then, of course, she's retired. And she asked, what do you do? Famous line. You know, so I, I try to keep people out of hell. And, whoa, I didn't say that. <laughs> I wanted to, though. So, uh, no, I just said I'm a pastor of a church. We were in Uganda, and Brandon was sitting next to me, and we'd go, and we serve with churches there. Oh, and it got a little weird. And, but then, hearing I'm a pastor, then she starts unloading about her life, and her husband has had a long-term disability, and all the challenges with that, and all the financial difficulties with that. And, and so we got to talking and talking and talking. And then eternity comes up in our conversation. And I'm like, okay, great. And so uh, she's like, I don't know what to think about. I know that there's something out there. And then she was at a card reader, and a card reader invoked someone and shared a message of something that there's no way the card reader would have known, but that really awakened her. There is something out there. And I, I, I you know, oh, have you ever thought about what Jesus has to say? He has a lot to say about today and tomorrow and the future. And, and she just shut me down at every point. And we went on and back and forth and lovingly in between, you know, food and this and that. And finally, she brings up, you know, well, I went to Catholic school. I thought, oh, great. Uh, I went to Catholic school for three years when I was a kid. My parents sent me. I went to Mass three times a week, and I hated it. I hated the whole experience. And ever since then, uh, I don't want to know anything to do with the church, the Bible, or anything. And I'm like, well, what about Jesus? Like, what is Jesus? And, and she just every single time 
lovingly, nicely, in a British way, shut me down. Now, she is open to go to a card reader to hear about our future, but not open to Jesus. And, and that's just where lots of people are, right? But the good news is God is holding out his arms to an obstinate people. And has God done with her? No. Did God allow that conversation? Who knows? She's going to California. She's in California right now. Who knows who else is going to come along and build on that or enhance? Or I don't know. See, when I was a student, when I was a teenager, I really thought uh, that it was my responsibility to make it happen. I'm a salesperson by nature. You've picked up on that. And, and, and so my, it's my job to close the deal. And it's my job to make sure that people respond. And you know what? I want people to respond, but I was in college and reading a book on witnessing by Dr. Bill Bright, and I'll throw a quote on there that really helped me, and I hope it helps you. He says, expect results when you witness for Christ, but remember, however God chooses to use your faithfulness in witnessing, your responsibility is to present Christ. It's his responsibility to draw people to himself. And I love this line, success in witnessing is simply taking the initiative. Stop. I can do that. Success is to, to initiate, to engage, to share Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's not like me speaking. It's God choosing to use me and leaving the results to God. That's the helpful part. So I, I'm there. I'm sent. I announce. I answer. And then... And I, I trust that they're not going to stiff-arm God. And I want them to receive. We're a sent people, but we don't save anyone. That's so helpful. So the pressure is not on me to close the deal. The pressure is on me, though, to invite the Holy Spirit to give me courage to announce. It's easier to talk about everything other than Jesus. Would you agree? Jesus is just like a stumbling block. But let me encourage you with this. You say, Jose, I've never led anyone to faith in Jesus. All I would have to say to you is not yet. Not yet. Like you don't know what God may do in the future. You don't know what God may do today. You don't know what God may do tomorrow. So you haven't seen as much fruit as you want yet. Write this down. God honors faithfulness, not results. It's true. Some people get better results. I can say the same thing, quote, like word for word, as Luis Palau. He's going to get double the results. <laughs> it's frustrating. So I'm not worried about that, though, because I can be faithful to share what God has called me to share and God is not looking at my results. He's looking at how much I trust him and how much risk I'm willing to take in his name. So will we be the kind of people who are faithful to speak up? Will we be the kind of people who embrace our calling as a sent people? Will we be the kind of people who invite the Holy Spirit actively, not as some out there force, but as God come here now? Holy Spirit, I don't know what to do. And by the way, you know all things. You know I don't know what to do. 
but I'm, I'm trusting you. As I take one step, I'm trusting you to use me. Will you invite the Holy Spirit to do that? All right, now as we respond, we want to be super practical because sometimes we hear things and they're like, I don't know what to do with it. I think there are two things every single one of us can do right now, like right now. And we're going to invite you to participate with God in this. One, I can think about my world and my sentness. I, I can think about people who may need to know more of the love of Jesus even through me. I, I could do that. Like, and you, your circle is going to be different than my circle. Funny thing is, if we were to actually sit down, our circles overlap. We live in a small world. I see you in supermarkets and everywhere else. Our, our worlds are overlapping. There are people I'm thinking about that you're thinking about. Wow. So I can pray about my little circle and ask God to use me in my circle. So let's get ridiculously practical. Think of one person in your circle. Not, not a stranger. Now God uses you to str strangers too. Um, there are one-off encounters that he uses. But th there's someone in your world who's not yet following Jesus fully. Who are they? I just want you to think about, everyone get one person because we're going to do something about it. So I can, I can, I can think about my, my circle. All right, you got one. Maybe a couple, one. The second thing I can do is I can actively pray to God to help me to take a step towards loving this person. I, I could do that, right? I can, I can identify and I can ask. So what we're going to do in response is rather than come to the table, and it's usually about like the bread and the cup, Jesus for me, we want to come to the table on behalf of other people. So what I'm going to invite you to do is in a, in a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to worship and we're going to respond. And we're going to invite the Spirit to begin to stir us towards our sentness. So here's what you have two songs to do. And we're just going to go like free form. Over the next two songs, when I invite you to stand, not yet, go to the table, grab the bread and the cup, and then I'm going to ask you in your own time, first song, second song, Third song, you lose, okay? The buzzer goes off. It's No, not really. But, but within the next two songs, grab the bread and the cup, and then find one other person, just one, not a group of three, one other person. And then just find out their name and pray for each other. If God leads you to pray for the names of people that you're thinking about, do that. Pray for courage. Pray for boldness. Pray that God would be with you. Pray for an opportunity. Pray, pray, and then just by faith, receive the bread and the cup, which is a reminder of God's presence is here and He's available. And then just continue to worship. We can do that, right? That's active faith, not just passive belief. All right. Why don't you stand and let's uh, invite God to now use us. Lord, we invite you, Holy Spirit of God, to, to take these moments where we think about the people that you love, that you want to rescue, that you want to transform. And we actually want to see it happen too, Lord. And so I invite you, Lord, the Holy Spirit, to come and fill us with your presence and boldness, courage, words. And as we, and we, as we ask together, as we come and agree in your name,
that we'll actually see stuff happen. Like today, tomorrow, this week, we'll begin to see the answers to the prayers that we have that more and more people will know you and love you and worship you. We, we ask that you'll do that kind of thing.